0: Hi, this is Scott Hansen of Allworth Financial. Welcome to our State of the Industry podcast. And this podcast, we're talking about how to value your firm. And um, we've got two great guests with us today. Chris Oddie is the CFO of Allworth Financial. So I, the reason I think he's interesting is because uh, not only is he because he's my CFO, but uh, he has looked at numerous financial firms, advisory firms both in transactions that we've completed as well as transactions that we've walked away from, et cetera. And so he's had a lot of experience. And as his previous life, before Allworth, he's been involved in many different mergers and acquisitions. And so that'll be good as well. And then uh, also on today's podcast, we have Ryan Grau of FP Transitions. And Ryan is an expert and figuring out valuations of advisory firms. He's, um, of course, with F- FP Transitions as their vice president of Bill- business valuation services, and he's got many certifications in that space. And so I think you will enjoy uh, what he has to say. And again, maybe you're thinking about selling your business right now. Maybe you're thinking, I never want to sell my business. But you know, for all of us, uh, as we go through life, at some point in time, we're going to be transitioning away from the business. Either because we decide to, or because of an illness or death takes us out, none of us are going to be around here forever. So there's always, there's at some point in time, there will be some um, transition from your ownership to somebody else, and having some valuation, um, and in, perhaps an independent valuation done ahead of time, uh, could be of some benefit. So glad you are with us. So Chris Audie, thanks for being part of our State of the Industry podcast here at Oliver Financial. Thank you for having me, Scott. And you've been our CFO for roughly a year and a half or so, right? You can yeah. you joined us, uh, Allworth Financial, we're about $4.5 billion today. Uh, formerly Hanson McLean, we brought in some private equity uh, in the fall of uh, 2017. You joined us shortly thereafter to help. And, and I think at the time, we, we had a little over $2 billion when you joined us?
1: Uh, yep, that's correct.
0: Yeah. And so... And what I think, what the reason I had Chris joining us on the podcast is, he's he's helped us with some acquisitions by crunching through the numbers. And of course, every other firm, when they their own valuations, they might have one expectation and perhaps our expectations could be somewhat different. So, I thought it would just be helpful for
1: um, you, our audience, to get his perspective first before we talk to a valuation expert. Sure. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously there is a lot of uh, a lot of interest in the marketplace right now, uh, and you know what we're seeing is advisors. Um, you know, they understand that valuations are at an all-time high, uh, and so you know they they they're thinking: is this is this now a good time to consider a transaction? Um, and what you know what really uh, do they need to think about when they're thinking about the the worth of their firm, as you say? So. You know, I, when, when we're looking at firms and what I, would, what I would say to them is there are three things, really. There is, um, you know, first of all, the performance of their business. So, uh, you know, is their business growing organically beyond the market growth? Um, you know, that's important for us to look at. And not many firms are growing organically beyond <laughs> market. I mean,
0: the thing that's tough about our industry, right, is when, particularly if you get to a certain size, you've got clients that want to spend some of their money each year, right? So you have withdrawals. Uh, yeah. You have uh, some clients who will fire you for for whatever reason. Correct. Right? And then you've got some, some market movement. But just the, the, the money that comes out
1: on an annual basis, you need a certain amount of new assets coming in just to stay flat. That's right. That's right. And I think that's what makes you know some players out there. There's only a handful, as you say, of players out there in the marketplace that are able to grow organically um, and grow through acquisition as well. I think... You know, that's if, if you have those two components to your business, that's what drives, you know, the the enterprise value growth on a sustainable basis and on a long term basis. And I think what we see is, you know, there are a lot of smaller uh, small advisory firms out there where it's hard, as you say, it's hard because of, you know, some of those uh, th- those pulls on the business. Uh, and, and and it's hard without the the investment and the leverage that you have with a larger firm, Um so yeah, that's what that's what I think makes it very very attractive. You know, multiples are also extremely high right now, given there's just a lot of capital in the marketplace. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it was interesting, Chris. We just saw um, uh,
0: Wealth Enhancement Group, which is a large RAA. Um, yeah. uh, they are growing organically. They're and they had acquired a number of firms. I don't know if you'd they would wouldn't be called a roll up, but. Essentially, they've acquired some other, other firms, and they went up on the market and it was like within a few weeks there was lots of interest from private equity firms. Right. I mean it, it, right now there's so much private equity sloshing around in our space and private equity looking for investment
1: opportunities in the RA space. There is. yeah. And so there, there will be some, there will be some big winners here. Uh, I think you know it's clear to say it's fair to say that there is consolidation happening in the marketplace. Um, and you know the, the, the firms that are going to win though are going to be those that have the organic growth as well.
0: So you talked about the three things for make. A,
1: yeah. So you know, first thing is performance. I got lost. I don't know if we went through one <laughs> or two. That's fine. You first said one the one is performance. <laughs> the performance of the. I'm business I'm not that good with numbers key. all the time. Though, but <laughs> uh, the second one is is the people, um, right? So you know, we're we're buying or we're working, um, looking to partner with businesses, uh, and and those businesses are people businesses. So uh, it's all about the people, the talent uh, in the organisations. Uh, sometimes, you know, we hear a lot. Uh, I know you hear this, Scott, where you know advisor, advisory uh, firm leaders will come and say, "Well, you know, I'm not ready to retire yet, so you know, I'm not thinking about selling." You know, that's exactly the time when you should be thinking about selling. You shouldn't really be thinking about you know selling your business when you're retiring because you know you are a part of the assets and the value of that business. Uh, and and then, you know,
0: I had a conversation with a gentleman who was – this was almost two years ago. He was uh, 78 then, and um, you know, he loved what he was doing. I'm like, well, you probably should partner with another firm because, I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he had some other advisor kind of in the wings should something happen to him where that advisor can step in, but he's not going to get the best valuation, and it's not going to be the best transition for his clients either at that point. Right, uh, right. Yeah, thing, yeah
1: really. exactly. So performance, people, and then the other one is you know the position in the marketplace. So you know if you're if you're looking to maximise your valuation, if you have a strong position in a in a market that has you know really good demographics for this industry, um, and you have a you have a good reputation in that marketplace, then you know that is something that will you know make you extremely attractive to a strategic kind of growth. Uh, acquisition, uh, you know, business as opposed to, um, you know, a business that's just purely focused on the kind of book aggregation model. And the book aggregation model is not likely to get you the same kind of multiple. What do you mean by book aggregation model? Well, I mean, there are some businesses out there uh, that are that are literally just aggregating other firms. Oh, got it, got it. Uh, got it. They're not looking to, you know, invest in True those firms, drive growth. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I think if you look at most, most advisory firms have less than $100 million, so smaller firms. Um, but let's, let's kind of think from a firm of maybe 50 million to 500 million under management, as far as kind of trying to look at how, what, what are some things that those firms could do to position themselves for a favorable valuation?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think the first thing is focusing on, on the metrics of the business. So understanding, you know, understanding what's happening uh, with respect to your assets under management and right? how many firms are doing a good job with that very few to be honest and that's at that scale uh, very I think, so I think from
0: your from your standpoint I see if you've seen a lot of deals coming yeah. through, right <laughs> closed some but seen a lot how many firms are good at being able to with their data be able to tell you what, exactly what's going on in the business
1: you know I think probably less than 10 percent and you know what we do see is when I see a firm that is good at understanding the data there typically are uh, performing, uh, you know, much better than those that are not on top of it. And so. if you don't have the data, it's kind of hard to put a premium on that company, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, it, it's hard to put a premium on it. It's hard to really truly focus on uh, new business growth if you don't have if you don't have the data in front of you. So if you're trying, to, if you're talking
0: to a firm and trying to come up with a realistic valuation, they come up and say, well, here's about, here's what my f- earnings are. Here's my earnings before owners comp, or here's my EBITDA um how much you want to pay me for the firm yeah uh, right that's that's kind of what happens right, right? <laughs> so yeah. um what what's the information that you need in order to to one well validate those numbers but two to to say this firm might be worth a little bit more than a firm that doesn't have this data
1: yeah so i think um y- you know we've we've really looked at our process to make sure it's as simple as possible when it comes to having that dialogue with uh, with potential partners, uh, so the first thing we do is have a conversation. We understand the business. Um, you know, there's only so much you can gather out of uh, out of the data if you don't understand the broader context. So the first thing is to understand understand the dynamics of the business, the team, the culture, because um, you know. Also, we need that strategic fit as well as they do for a, a partnership yeah, anyone that's to be looking, successful. Yeah. So, and,
0: and if a f- if a firm wasn't a strategic fit, the valuation wouldn't be as high in our eyes. Correct, exactly. I, which yep. is, there's some, there's some non-financial things there that going to yeah. drive valuation. Because a firm's opt-
1: ultimately willing, it's th- the value is what someone's willing to pay for it, like any other asset, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, then we want to understand the book, understand what's happening in that book, uh, you know, how, how it's performing in terms of uh, new business coming in from new clients, new business coming in from existing clients and lost business and withdrawals, so we can really get an understanding of uh, of, you know, the levers that are, are working and, and where we would, you know, need to uh, potentially help make adjustments, invest to, to drive growth. Um, we obviously have a lot of market data. We know where our, you know, top, top markets are, where we want to be or where we are today. Um, and so, uh, you know, that we, we layer that together and we get to a good view as to, you know, what we think Uh, we can do with the business uh, together as a team, but, you know, as well as what's happening right now. um, We need to understand what the, you know, what's required with respect to, uh, you know, the team's compensation on a go-forward basis, because, you know, some of these businesses, they're small businesses, they're used to, you know, having the distributions of that business. They're not reinvesting the the, uh, the distributions or reinvesting their profits in, you know, marketing and lead generation and those types of things that would typically drive enterprise value growth. And, I, you know, that's another important point, I think, uh, when it comes to, you know, why is it a good, why is it sometimes a good time, you know, to sell? Sometimes you, you reach this point where you're, you know, at an inflection point and in order to grow beyond a certain scale, you, you know, your new business requires a level of investment in marketing, lead generation, um, Leadership, technology, <laughs> <yeah>. etc. <cetera. laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's easy to get to those those, those points and kind of cap tap out there. Yeah, not have much growth from there. Yep. And and you, you spent uh, before you joined Allworth Financial a uh, year and a half ago or so. You were with Marsh and McClellan, the
1: yep. big insurance
0: firm, right? Insurance Correct. Yep. firm. Yep. And how when you were there, what what kind of M and A activity were you involved in?
1: Well, you know, I was involved in some M&A activity uh, on the employee health and benefits side and and also on, uh, you know, on on the software company side. Um, And uh, yeah, so, you know, we we went through a number of transactions globally, uh, around eight transactions over my time there. Um, But, you know, what really interested me in this role was what's happening um over there in terms of the the uh, the pulling together a lot of the insurance brokerage firms around in the united states and um marsh has been hugely successful at helping um you know aggregate and grow those businesses uh, yeah, it's kind of Europe. interesting
0: uh the insurance brokerage space there's a couple major players marsh i guess hub international i think yeah. my, that's Aon willis yeah my my insurance I think my the, the company that I, I do my own personal property and casualty insurance with, they were, I mean, very similar to an RA. It started. I'm trying to remember the name of it now, but it started. A couple founders started. It was a small organization. Grew larger. Someone else was running the firm. It had had this one succession plan in, uh, that had already gone through. And then um, I don't know. There was 50 or maybe 100 employees. And then they became part of Hub International. Yeah, um, and Hub's done a bunch of these deals, and now there's some of these firms that are billions of dollars in revenue, like uh, Marsh, right? They're just massive companies.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a similar, you know, it, it the business model is different, but uh, you know, it does have a strong recurring revenue stream to it. Uh, so therefore, you know, valuations um, and highly they're are very very personal business people do correct very much a relationship yes. business yep. insurance. Yeah, yep.
0: interesting. So. Um, and valuations right now seem like they, they're going to the sky. I mean, it, you know, some of the reported um, valuations that we're, we're seeing uh, from whether it's Focus. I mean, well, Focus is a publicly traded company, but United Capital with Goldman Sachs. And then uh, the deal that was just uh, Wealth Enhancement Group, that was a, uh, reported at an extremely high valuation. I mean, there, there's got to be some limit to the, how high the valuations are going to go.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think from a multiple perspective, they've got to be close to close to the top. Uh, certainly if you look back over the last kind of 10 years or so, uh, you know, they, they are as high as they've ever been. Um, I think, you know, interest rates being extremely low, capital being extremely, um, you know, high. Easy to get. Easy to get, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, means that the multiples are, right, are probably at the top at this point. Um, And obviously, the market has been extremely strong. So earnings are there. So you do get uh, incredible valuations. And so some people would, you know, I think they would, you know, ask us, Scott, well, you know, are are we, you know, are we interested at this point? You know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe now is a good time. Why would or why would you be interested in buying businesses at this point in the market? And I think, you know, where the, what what makes us a little bit different, what makes us very interested, is that our enterprise value is growing organically and through acquisition, uh, and so we we are growing our enterprise value significantly beyond the market, right? Uh, and so if you if you see as a, as as a business looking to um, potentially partner with another larger firm, what you really want to do is you want to find a business that is growing their enterprise value significantly beyond the market because you will then be able to benefit from that um much more so than you can potentially in a smaller firm where you're uh, you know you're not able to maybe achieve the same kind of level of double digit growth uh, in your enterprise value and you're also not operating at a, at a similar level of m- uh, multiple so you know that's what makes it appealing to us right particularly some of the smaller uh, smaller firms are extremely appealing to us for that reason yeah
0: and i think um I think when people are looking at valuations right now, whether it's an internal succession, some other succession plan, or looking at selling, I think by looking by, they need to look at the valuation out of their own, not just their own firm, but the firm that they're selling to as well, particularly if they're taking some stock swap, right? For sure. And make yeah. sure they can justify that as well. So uh, thank you very much, Chris, for some of your thoughts you're sharing. We're going to now have a, our guest join us, uh, Ryan Grow. He is VP of Business Valuation Services for FP Transitions. And unless you are brand new to this industry, you've clearly heard of FP Transitions because they've helped a number of firms with not only valuation services, they do a tremendous amount of work in the valuation space, uh, but also through um, transactions by finding buyers and sellers and putting them together. And Ryan's got a tremendous amount of experience. He's a certified valuation analyst. Uh, He is a certified business appraiser. And and on and on. I mean, he's got. I was looking at this list, and um, it's worth. We have we have a guy in our in our industry in our office here that's a CFP, all these different things. We all joke about him. He's got more initials after his name, and Ryan is the same. More initials after his name than in his name. So anyway, Ryan, thanks for taking a little time out of your day to join us here at Allworth Financial.
2: I appreciate the opportunity to participate, Scott.
0: Yeah. So the the question of the day for our our podcast is how to position your firm for a favorable valuation. So maybe you can briefly just talk about you know, what are the key drivers for valuation and then maybe what are some tweaks that somebody can do or what are some things that someone could focus on over a period of time to increase their valuation. Is that a good place to start?
2: Well, let's start there. Good. So to answer that question, we need to understand what value is. It, value is it's intrinsic to both buyers and sellers. So in order to get the the most value, you need to determine well in advance of any retirement or transition event what your end goal is. If you're looking to sell externally, you like your job, you're not trying to bring in a bunch of staff, Um, you really want this to be a small, nimble operation, then growing and creating an enterprise probably isn't going to be of value to you. In that scenario, there really doesn't need to be a focus on running an efficient practice and creating profitability, because the most likely outcome for those type of books or practices is either going to be attrition, which is capturing no value for your practice or alternatively selling to a strategic third party acquirer in the marketplace. Um, Most acquirers in the marketplace. Go ahead. Would you say,
0: would you say the first one, isn't that a lot of people's kind of retirement succession plan is kind of retiring in place and haven't you seen a lot of advisors out there?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely. That's, I would say that's a, a vast majority of the industry.
0: All right. All right. And then I interrupted you. So continue.
2: Selling, oh, no, to no, str- selling, selling to a a strategic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you said either yeah, attrition, yeah. Or their clients start dying off, and their practice slowly dies up. But they don't care because they only work in a week a month, and uh, the rev- Yeah, the revenue is shrinking, but it's still bringing in a lot of retirement income. Right, that's what a lot of advisors. Whether that's the yes. good right thing for the client, that's another discussion. But that's what that's what how it can work. Yeah.
2: So there. That's a, a good number of advisors in the industry, uh, they, they enjoy what they do, they're going to slowly wind down their career and not capture any value of the practice, they're going to take take income as it comes in the door. The other bulk of the industry are the solo advisors or the smaller practices with some admin staff, maybe a couple licensed advisors um, that don't quite have the resources or the human capital to transition internally. So for those advisors, there's still, the option is an external sale. Consider selling to a strategic advisor out there or a roll-up firm. Again, the focus for those advisors isn't on profitability. It's not what's on your profit and loss statement. It's not what's on your balance sheet. It's the book of business. So, in those type of scenarios, what you really want to create in order to get the most value out of your practice is create a low-risk revenue stream. So, highly predictable revenue fees from AUM. If you're in the broker-dealer space, that, uh, you're that your fees are you're either getting fees, there's trails, uh, 12b-1s. So, try to create predictable, recurring revenue. Uh, second is growth. You want growth not only through bringing on new clients, but growth with existing clients. So if you have an older client base that's entering the withdrawal phase of their life cycle, um, it's not going to be viewed as favorably by buyers in the marketplace compared to an advisor who's working with younger, more affluent clients uh, who are in the wealth-building phase of their life cycle and investing more and more assets. Then we have a very small portion of the industry, which are those that are trying to create legacy-type businesses. They're building the enterprises. They have the ability to transfer transfer ownership to next generation. The value proposition in those type of businesses is similar. You still want to create low-risk revenue. Um, You want high growth, but For them, there's an additional complexity, which is focusing on profitability. And in most financial service businesses, the two largest expenses on every profit and loss statement is their human capital, so salary wages and bonuses that they're paying to their employees and staff, and rent expenses. So to the extent that you can grow and leverage technology, and minimize compensation and minimize staff and focus on profitability, that's going to be the the best way for you to capture the most value out of what you're building. Um, often advisors want to make sure that their staff is taken care of. They're paying either, you know, significantly higher than average compensation that when it comes time to transition ownership, because they want to start creating equity pathways and we look at the profitability of the business, there's not much left because it's all going right out the door in salaries. So now we have another, is that, that you see that, is that common compensation?
0: Is that common? Very common. What's it? Very common. All right, so <laughs> it's kind of fault. So you got an advisor starts out. They've got a couple of people working from them. And they're small. They get a little larger, and maybe now there's ten or fifteen folks in the firm. There's a handful of uh, employees that are frankly overpaid. Maybe twenty five percent, maybe more overpaid. Uh, how do the, How do you deal with something like that?
2: Ooh the it really <laughs> so the answer that's <laughs> tough trying to avoid saying it depends but it depends and it depends on how the compensation system has been structured um, oftentimes what we observe is owners treating the employees in either an independent contractor capacity and basically raising competitors under their same roof where yeah. those competitors who are the, the independent contractors servicing the client base um, they're getting basically a, a portion or a payout on the book of business that they're serving, and it 's not a good way to, to build flatten, a, not
0: a very good way to build your valuation, is it?
2: It is not. Yeah. And in order to fix those type of compensation issues, it, reti- it requires a complete system overhaul of yeah, how the advisors work together, how they're compensated. Um, basically looking at what is, what's the end goal. So let's start with the end goal in mind. If the end goal is to create equity pathways, how are we now going to get the advisors, the employees, the independent contractors of this business thinking um, on a, in a team-based mindset and working towards the end, but ultimately, how are we going to get you into a similar position where you're an owner without taking money out of your pocket?
0: Ryan, if you found that some firms where you've gone through and came up with some valuation for them, right? They perhaps they have hired you for this business valuation service, you guys do, come up with a valuation, they they and then they end up with uh several offers that vary widely. Is that common?
2: It is. Um and the the most common comment that we get especially when we're looking at um, you know, a firm that's looking to sell internally where they haven't addressed the compensation issues and there's not a lot of value from uh, uh, from the profits of the business, um, they'll see the valuation results, which is you know, profit-driven in their particular scenario. And then come back with the question of well i saw or I heard from one of my other friends that just sold uh they sold their practice for you know three times revenue or you know three and a half or six seven times eBITDA why is my valuation not coming in at you know these these numbers or why are the, what's what's the difference um and oftentimes when we look at what the value of the, the actual business is and the terms on which the business is being sold, uh, we end up finding that typically those, the deals that on the surface uh, appear to be much richer offers typically have a fairly lengthy uh, term sheet attached to them in terms of what's expected of the advisor, uh, how long they're going to be involved in the business, and what the performance metrics are that they need to hit in order to obtain the full offer price.
0: Yeah, and you. One of the things I thought the majority of advisors are not these kind of legacy firms, right? The majority of the advisors are the kind of the second group you were talking about these uh, smaller firms that you, you say instead of worrying about you. You say profit is not as important as showing that you can grow the grow the book. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah. And, and is that because? Uh, some uh, An acquirer is going to put their own systems in place anyway, and acquirer is going to look at that revenue stream, and, and they're going to value it based upon if that revenue stream and that advisor were part of our organization, this is how much the organization could profit off it. Is that kind of the view of it?
2: Yeah. So the way that I like to describe it is when we look at buyers in the industry, you have financial buyers and you have strategic buyers. Financial buyers are typically investors, so they're the G2s buying into a business, or they're the the, the advisors that are trying to make a leap into the industry or back into the industry, and they're looking to buy a going concern. They aren't bringing any synergies to the table. So to to a financial buyer, what they're looking at and what's important to them in terms of value is what flows to the bottom line. Yeah, cash flow because value, value is a function of future benefits. So for the buyer, a financial buyer specifically, their future benefit is going to be the cash flows of the business. However, for practices and solo advisors, um, the a buyer of those type of practices is going to be more of a strategic or synergistic buyer. They're less concerned about the operations of the business. In fact, in most of those transitions, Buyer acquires the rights to use the company name, but typically won't use them um, unless there's a strong community presence. But overall, the operations of the business are wound down. The operational expenses are structured in a manner consistent with how they've run their practice, and there's oftentimes a marginal increase in expenses for taking on the the book of business that they're acquiring. Got
0: it. So, and you. See a lot of practices. How many valuations have you been involved in? You think in
2: your career? Over the course of my career to date, about eight thousand.
0: Eight thousand! Holy smokes, that's a lot of valuations. You've seen it all. So, so with all that knowledge that you have and all that data you have, Ryan, if you and, and if you're looking at the average advisor, if they could do one thing and one thing only to increase their valuation over the next 12 to 24 months, what would that be?
2: If you're looking to sell internally, focus on profitability. If you're looking to sell externally, create a stable recurring revenue base that has strong growth supporting it. Perfect. All
0: right. I've got one last question for you. If you suddenly were, you were out of the industry you're in, you're, you took away your credentials or you just had such a big paycheck that you were going to start something new. What would you do if you're starting fresh today? You can do anything in the world. What would it be?
2: Anything in the world. I've, my dream has always been to open a do it yourself garage. What's that? I'm a very mechanically oriented person. Uh, I like hands on. I like building and when I was in the military, one of the coolest concepts was the fact that we had a garage on the base, and it was open to whoever wanted to use it. You had lifts, you had all the tools, you had everything that you'd possibly ever need to work on or build anything.
0: That's pretty Primarily interesting. Primarily
2: cars and trucks is what it was oriented. to I'm not. And I've always thought that that would be. What's that?
0: Is anyone doing something like that? Have you seen those?
2: Uh, last time I did some research on it, there was a company in Idaho that had a fairly large operation. Um, they bought out a glass manufacturing facility, and it, it had a fairly large operation. I think they had forty forty oh, lifts. Oh, right.
0: well, good. Well, good. well. Then I hope you, at some point in time, your dream could come true, even on a small small scale. If that would be it. So, hey, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan uh, Grau of uh, FP Transitions. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, thank you. And uh Chris, also I appreciate you joining um uh with us. would anything that you would disagree with on um, their approach or anything that you would
1: say that's spot on? Um no, I think uh I think Ryan's got a pretty good uh, a good read. I I think um you know, I, I think I I think uh it's I I would I would focus as well on the kind of um you know, the softer side of uh of, of 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 these transactions as well being extremely important. I think, you know, people will go to um, to somebody like Ryan when they're when they're uh, ready to sell and they want to follow a a, a precise uh, you know precise process. But I think, um, you know, and he'll help them lead them through that process through to a transaction. But often, um, you know, I would say that there are advisors out there that are just interested in kind of learning more. And I would encourage them to to leverage um, you know the networks that they have. All right. Well, thank you,
0: and thanks for being um, part of our program today. And I'm going to ask you the same question. Take away your financial background, or um, you're no longer a CFO here, and you're going to do anything you want outside of
1: that. What would that be? Uh, I think I would uh, move to my own private island, uh, and I would uh, probably. Um, some of this this type of work on the side but generally speaking i would enjoy uh, enjoy enjoy the island enjoy nature and uh would have to be enjoy. a fairly good
0: size island though, i'm <laughs> guessing not a small It'd be
1: comfortable one. yeah okay. i've seen richard branson's it looks nice
0: oh richard branson's island how about a <laughs> yeah. guest there anyway all right well thank you chris for joining us and of course chris is the cfo of allworth financial thanks for listening to our podcast today i hope you found it important actually if you did forward it on to somebody in the industry that you think that could benefit from this i think uh, they might uh, appreciate that and if you want to learn more more about Allworth and who we are. We're on a great journey right now. Uh, We partner with a handful of firms. uh, Just year to date, I think we've done uh, three or four um, uh, transactions and we have many more in the works. And to learn more about us, simply go to allworthpartners.com and you'll learn more, allworthpartners.com. Thanks so much.
2: This podcast has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm with the Securities and Exchange Commission.